0: Everyone likes to stay in their zone of competence where it's all comfortable. I can do this job really well and no one can tell me how to do it better. But if you challenge yourself to step out, you're actually one of, what, 5% of human beings that actually will take a risk on themselves and back themselves to be able to do something better than what they, they think they can do.
1: The New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology your strategic and proactive IT partner. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Business Podcast. I'm your host Paul Spain today with Matt Wong. Uh, He is the owner and director at iFly Indoor Skydiving New Zealand. Welcome along, Matt. How are you?
0: Thanks, Paul. Yeah, really good. Great
1: to have you on the show. It's fantastic to be uh, here in Otago and in uh, Queenstown to be able to... uh, you know, get a bit of a handle on what's what's happening in this part of the country from a business and a tourism perspective looking forward to hearing a bit about your your journey maybe we can sort of you know start at the beginning as it were mm-hmm. uh, w- when did you sort of start showing an interest in in things of of
0: business and so on uh, as a, as a younger person I, I think I fell into business <laughs> I was actually've uh, got I've got a degree in zoology and ecology and a master's in ecology. And uh, I spent some time in the States working with the birds of prey, came back to New Zealand, got a job here in Queenstown, and I was raising Kiwi chicks. Wow. <laughs> um, doing a lot of advocacy work and conservation work with the public. Um, and that's where, you know, for the first half of life it was about wildlife and conservation. That's where I was, I was going to spend my whole life doing that. But that's where commerce and conservation started to clash, so I was working for a business, uh, a park here, and you need to be commercially viable as well as you know, work on the conservation efforts. Um, but I saw those two weren't working hand in hand that well. Um, and so I sort of lost my way with conservation about 25 years ago. Ironically, I'm starting to get back into that now. But So that's where I started thinking, well, what else am I going to do? I've just spent 25 years of my life studying conservation, and I have no idea what I'm going to do now. And being in Queenstown, you just naturally fall into tourism. So I was um, selling product at the EyeSight Visitor Centre counter there for a while until I figured out what I was going to do. At that same time, I met my now wife. So I sort of kept roots here, and I started putting roots down. A year from running um, uh, as a, a frontline seller in the EyeSight Visitor Centre, I became the general manager. Um, and again, it was just through um, luck, in a way, right time, right place. Well, and
1: that, that's <laughs> what you say, and, and I hear these sort of things so many times, Matt, and... Really, there, you know, there's always an element, isn't there, mm. of of um, a reason why someone <laughs> shoulder taps you and says, yeah. "Hey, you're doing this now," <laughs> but yeah, we kind of think you could you yeah. could do this, and and yeah, obviously there's a there's a reflection of how you work and and how you operate that w- you know must have been pretty clear there that you could uh, yeah. you could you could take that
0: role. I think so. I'm like, I'm very much analytical, so you know, for someone who's saying, put put this young chap in, charge your business. They would have seen that analytical aspect to it. And it took me a good six months to figure out, actually, I needed those people skills. I brought some of that from animal behaviour from my previous life working yeah, with right. animals. Yep. Um, and at the end of the day, we, we'd like to think that humans are higher sentient beings, but really is, is we're just animals. We behave the same way. When we're threatened, we, we react the same way. You see it all the time, and COVID really highlighted that. So yeah I was, uh, for 10 years I was running the Ice Visitor Centre and a travel agency brokers and all sorts of things. So you know that was my schooling in tourism I didn't have a degree in it whatsoever but through 10 years of trying to figure out how to run a business in tourism you learn pretty quickly.
1: Yeah so you you, you must have picked up some pretty interesting things there and you know our our listeners will be there'll be a broad range of people that'll be listening into this you know some of maybe just sort of starting out a career but they've got that uh, interest maybe in in heading up a business in the future, leading a business, varying sort of levels but I'm picking in terms of the way you work to, to get promoted to uh, to lead eyesight, mm. it must have been also a reflection of of not just your smarts but you must have been pretty committed to doing a, you know, a great job there. What, what would you say to those that are maybe newer in the workforce or still mm. studying in terms of, you know, how you should operate when you're, you know, when you're involved, mm. you know, working anywhere, whether it was your wildlife work or, you know, what you did at an eyesight. What was your work ethic? What did that mm. look
0: like? Well, get, getting back to that whole animal behaviour <laughs> and humans being <laughs> animals, <laughs> we protect ourselves. Back in the day, it used to be. Um, protecting yourself from lions and tigers, and bears and whatever it might be. But now it's protecting yourself from ridicule and losing face and you know crashing and burning if you take some venture that you shouldn't do. So we like to stay in our lanes. That's, that's typical human behaviour. But if you can figure out how to step out of your lane and get uncomfortable um, and step into sort of what you call the, the zone of genius, if you like. Everyone likes to stay in their zone of competence where it's all comfortable. I can do this job really well and no one can tell me how to do it better. But if you challenge yourself to step out, you're actually one of, what, 5% of human beings that actually will take a risk on themselves and back themselves to be able to do something better than what they they think they can do. And I take advantage of that all the time. So I know that 95% of human beings in this world will not take on more challenge than what they think they can do, whereas I keep pushing the limits. And, And that's really the advice I'd give to any young student of any industry is be prepared to do more than anyone else and be prepared to take more risks than anybody else. And whatever it is, you'll succeed. It's and Like anything in life, if you've, if you've been a startup before, you learn really quickly how to fail and fail fast and be comfortable with failure. A lot of people these days aren't designed that way. I was talking to a psychiatrist recently um, and she does a lot of public speaking around mental health. And one of the first things she asked the, the audience is, is society getting harder or are we as people getting softer? And basically the answer to that, if there is an answer, is it's a bit of both. You know, Life is getting a lot more complex, but I, as a society we're probably getting a little bit softer and less able to take risks as a whole. But there are individuals, and in, you and I will probably know a few of those, and people listening will know those people that have, that take risks and they perform extremely well.
1: Yeah, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? So, looking back on that that time in the wildlife conservation world, you know if you look back, what would be the biggest sort of lessons that you've picked up during that time that sort of prepared you for the
0: business world? Not to be so insular. Um, so previous life in that conservation world was very much academic, uh, and it was all about research and study and data and um, and theories and testing those theories very much science-based what I learned from that though is that they as, as a scientist I found it very difficult to communicate with general community um, and be able to do cross community collaboration and that's really what you need in business you need to have a great network but you also need to identify the opportunities but you can't do it all on your own um, and and you know, I look at conservation and, and what we're looking at around sustainability in businesses and, and regenerative tourism seems to be the big topic right now for the tourism industry. And what we should be doing is we should be looking at uh, closing the, the, um, the economic loop, if you like. So yes, yes, we save the planet, but at the same time, we make it commercially viable and we make it a really good reason, a big carrot for saving the planet should be closing that loop. What we tend to have though is we have a lot of environmentalists that talk about saving the planet, offsetting your carbon, um, reducing your impact, but that's not enough. It's only half the equation.
1: Yeah, we have a uh, a podcast uh, hosted by Vincent Heringer called "This Climate Business," and it and it really you know delves into um, you know those aspects of you know how we how we address the challenges, but in a in a manner that you know from a business perspective sort of you know adds up. Yeah. Obviously, much easier to, to attract funding and, and investment into these things when you know not only is there you know a good from an environmental aspect, but there's a you know there's a return mm. on on that investment. And uh, yeah, getting getting those pieces to fit together well, mm. uh, you know, really really creates some momentum. And you know, of course, we've got uh, uh, you know funds starting up and Vincent's involved in in one of those as, as, as well. Uh, you know, investment funds that are uh, that are really, you know, getting behind um, things that uh, that bring about an environmental uh, good as, as well as generating a return. You know, from that investment perspective. You know, and
0: I, I think the way we do business, that is the best way to do it, um, because then everyone wins. If you've got a scenario where you need to figure out how to change as an industry, and someone's losing within that, and generally right now the way I look at it, it's going to be business because they're going to be paying for offsetting. Um, and paying to be sustainable, that's not going to work long term. It's it's not a sustainable model well, at bus- all.
1: businesses shut down if they're not profitable, right? Correct. So it all Absolutely. it all, it all falls over. Yeah. Um, so yeah, getting getting that right very important. And of course, you know we we're all looking within within uh, you know whatever aspect of business we we're in, mm. as to how we can do the right the right things that bring about um, yeah. you know a good outcome. Um, but there, there is a, a balance in terms of how deep pockets are and, <laughs> and, and so on, um, yeah. because when a business stops being uh, profitable then it uh, yeah. tends to close its doors.
0: Oh, it does, but you know I, I look at the way businesses are needing to act and behave, and the way boards need to act and behave now for the businesses. It is being about commercially viable, but you now also need to be looking at being an employer of choice, Uh, having a light environmental footprint and having a good social licence, having some positive impact on your community. As a human, (laughs) that's actually not a bad way to live anyway. So again, win, win, win for the community, for the environment, for the people who work for you and for you as a business owner. That, in my mind, has to be the way forward. No longer can we just be an extractive industry, and I talk about tourism here, but any industry, and there's many industry examples where they do extract a heck of a lot more than they give back. You know, I've lived in Queenstown 20 years now. This is where my kids are growing up, and this is probably where I'll end up retiring, is my guess, and where my kids will probably come back to live. So, you know, in another 50 years, we want it to be better than it is now.
1: Yeah, 100%, 100%. So, with EyeSight, what was the next step? Oh, from yeah. there for, for you.
0: <laughs> We're talking about being comfortable in a job. That was really <laughs> comfortable for me. Um, but I wasn't progressing at all. So I actually got shoulder tapped to run a helicopter company. Um, so I was coming in as the general manager of the helicopter company, and, and this helicopter company was based here in Queenstown. It uh, mainly made its revenue off scenic helicopter flights, so to Milford Sounds and uh, glaciers and whatever it might be. But it had a really dynamic. Um, Portfolio in that it uh, did a little bit of dock work, a bit of hunting work, a uh, bit of firefighting, um, but it was one of the major players in the aerial film industry. So, you know, thinking back at the portfolio, it was Lord of the Rings back in the day, was where it really started, but Narnia, Wolverine, 10,000 BC, Pete's Dragon. Wow. Um, the last one I worked on was Mission Impossible. So, we had that whole cast and crew working with us for three months based here in Queenstown at our hangar. So it, it exposes you to a whole different industry. So yes, we talked about tourism, and now I was stepping into aviation. Now we're talking about film industry, but they all were out of the same business. So really fascinating times. Um, and what it did was it, I was getting boxed in as an, as an agent, so general manager of an agency. So um, stepping on the other side of, of the industry, I was now an operator running a, a fairly large operation and pretty intense Health and safety was was number one priority, but um, like anything, you've got industry people. Uh, when I think about aviation, I think about pilots, and pilots are a special breed. Um, if you've met a pilot, oh, really? You, you know what I mean. Uh, t- t- <laughs> t- t-
1: tell us more because I think um, you know you talk about pilots, but they you know probably across every sector there are you know particular uh, people that yeah. are wired in a particular way that yeah. they need to be. In order to probably be successful in that particular area, um, but that brings with it some some challenges. But if you you know if we're we're gonna uh, you know lead yep. in a, in in these different fields. We have to be able to be successful Absolutely. with, with you know, a whole variety of people. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what some of the challenges, w- you know, were that, that you recognised in terms of, yeah. uh, you know, working with pilots. And obviously, you know, there's some quite key things in terms of how pilots are wired hmm. um, in order to be able to create the, uh, you know, the safety yep. uh, that we that we rely on that we actually you know get get into a plane or a helicopter yeah. uh, and and trust them and um, you know how did, how did that all you know fit together for you? Yeah,
0: well, safety is number one priority. It's um, and that should come above anything else. At the end of the day, you're putting your life in their, lives in their hands, uh, whether that's you know a New Zealand plane or it's a helicopter. Uh, pilots have extremely good hard skills and every industry is going to have technical um, people within them that have amazing hard skills, generally very analytical. They've studied a lot, and they know the rules. Um, That's generalisation, and I'm talking about pilots here.
1: They have to be able to really follow the process, don't they? You you don't get into just a helicopter and... Or a plane and take off, right? Oh, no, like you've no. You've got a whole process that you and you have balances. to go through. You've got to know it by heart. It's. Yep. Yep. I mean, if, yeah, a friend of mine who, uh, um, you know, fly flies planes and you know has done for for a, for a long time, which came about through his, his interest in skydiving actually, hmm. and uh, yeah, having seen some of his his uh, you know study as he's he studied for varying things and and you know to be an instructor and and so on. I just look at it and my eyes uh, glaze over the sort of things you have to remember. But, you know, without that, um, you know, we we would have a very different experience, wouldn't oh, we?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, knowing and understanding the rules and what you should and shouldn't do and then putting you in an environment that's forever changing, and I'm talking about mountain environment here. So you've got to be very situationally aware. So health and safety is sort of at the top of their mind most of the time. The difference between being a pilot, but then also being um, in tourism as a pilot is a whole different ball game, because not only do you need those hard skills, you need the soft skills to uh, basically host and entertain the visitors that are in your helicopter. So you've got a lot going on. So that's the challenge that we always will face, uh, certainly in the aviation tourism industry, is having good pilots that are safe at the wheel or at the stick but also having those soft skills that they have that ability to tell stories and be a great host. And that's the challenge that we've got within the tourism industry. And same when I joined iFly, we had all these really skilled flyers with great technical hard skill ability, but they didn't have the soft skills. And again, name any industry, I could probably show you a few staff within there or a few uh, careers within there where great hard skills, but their soft skills suck.
1: <laughs> very, very, yeah, very common within the you know the tech sector too, right? Yep, you know, absolutely. you get some you know really really clued up uh, technical people, and um, yeah, you might need yeah. to make a bit more a bit more effort on uh, yeah. on on that sort of mix of of, of skills and and uh, you know techniques for communication. And it,
0: yeah, it does come down to things like communication, um, but also understanding how they tick. Uh, so you know, pilots are designed to do a certain thing, and, and it attracts a certain person to want to fly in the first place. We we work a lot now with Clifton Strengths, and we uh, we do a lot of work around that to understand who the individual is. The trouble of being a pilot, of course, is um, you're hired and you're trained to do one thing the same way, like a robot. Um, but what we're now saying is, yes, that's important. You need to know exactly how to, you know, fly a helicopter. But let's understand the individual as well and understand how we can get the best performance out of them. Ultimately, we want optimal people. Um, and if we're going to carry on as business owners and, and operations, uh, and certainly in the tourism industry, we're always going to be working with people and they need to still have development in the soft skills as well.
1: Yeah. Now, you mentioned Clifton strengths. there. Some people may not be familiar. So do you want to walk us through um, that and you know, how how you actually, you know, util, utilise it? Yeah.
0: So, so for us, what it is about is it's understanding what your top five strengths are um, as an individual. So it's the way you think, the way you learn, the way you communicate. Um, it takes it all into account. It's a bit like a personality test, but probably nicer than that for business anyway. It's more palatable for a, for a business scenario. What it's good about is, uh, what's good about it is that it does talk about your strengths, not your weaknesses. I think we can assume what your weaknesses are based on the fact that they're probably not in your top strengths. Um, But what it then does is it says, okay, well, these, these strengths, let's utilise them in the role. So, yes, you have to be a pilot, but let's figure out some of those strengths that you have as an individual, how we can actually make those better for you in the workplace. What that then means is if we give you a task that is suited to your strengths, you then are going to execute it well, you're going to execute it efficiently, you're going to be passionate about it, and you're actually going to enjoy the role. If we give you a task that isn't naturally your strength, you are going to hate it, you're probably not going to complete it, and you're probably not going to have much purpose in life at, at the workplace and you end up leaving your job. So that's how we utilise it within our business is we understand the individual and we make sure that we serve up the right tasks in such a way that it becomes interesting to the individual as, or as a staff member. And when we talk about labour right now, everyone's short on labour, if you can get the formula right for retaining staff, then you don't have to go looking for more. And you know, that's the key for us, and that's what we've tried to do in the last three years, certainly so yeah. over COVID, um, you know, look after your team.
1: Yeah, and so are you using Clifton Strength sort of post-hiring, or do you build actually build that into your hiring process to help you get, a, get that feel up front that you're you know you're getting the right sort of mix across your across your team
0: yeah we, we were warned against using it as a, a recruitment tool um for better or worse i'm not sure yet we'll, we'll keep testing that one but what we do now is, is we, we use our soft skills as managers and owners and um, as hr people to get a gut feeling for people and then once they're hired we do a clifton Strengths analysis on them so to go Right, We hired them based on our gut feeling and you know, checks and balances and they're the right fit for the business. Let's now figure out what their skills and their strengths really are so that we can hone that and make them more optimal in the business. And that's how we use it today. We also share it amongst the team. So we sort of have a bit of a strengths matrix. Yep, so, so you
1: have that transparency so yep. everyone gets to understand and, and learn yeah. a, bit of, a bit about how each other ticks yeah. and where their strengths
0: are. It's important to know how you tick but also how everyone else around you ticks so that you can be a little bit more compromising um, when you figure out that you know, someone's strengths is different to yours and that's why you clash in the workplace or wherever it might be. So it's really critical that we all understand that as managers as well when we're managing our team if we want someone to be motivated we've got to figure out the right way to motivate them and if we have no clue and we just treat them all the same you'll probably get 50 percent of the motivated the other half you're still scratching your head
1: yeah people aren't robots are they? (laughs) We're we're, we're all uh, wired somewhat differently (laughs) or a lot differently
0: yeah absolutely Yeah.
1: yeah that's great so what was it that pushed you to move on from working with the pilots and uh, in the world of helicopters, because that sounds that actually sounds pretty cool, uh, flying around celebrities and movie sets or you know I mean there's all sorts of people, I guess you have to move it. Uh, yeah, what was the, what was the trigger to to
0: move on? It was a really interesting industry and it's probably one that I might go back to eventually anyway, but what triggered me to move on is is that desire to learn and push your upper limits. I'd gotten into this mindset of just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And I'm still doing that today. Um, I got elected onto the local council r- uh, recently. So um, yeah, that's really pushing <laughs> pushing my adolescence limits now. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, <thanks> <laughs> uh, well, commiserations, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, moving from that helicopter operation, which, which was really comfortable and really dynamic, interesting work. Um, but like all employees, you want, uh, development and progression and for me what I wanted to do eventually was do a startup of my own become my own business owner and and um, the best way to do a startup is with someone else's money <laughs> so uh, iFly was looking for a general manager to start up their operation and, and just to give a bit of background iFly is um, an American based company, there's about 80 of them around the world um, but they'd never started in Queenstown or in New Zealand um, and it simulates the free fall component of a skydive so when Just use your imagination if you've never skydived. Um, Basically you go up to about 15,000, 12,000 feet. You jump out of a plane with a stranger strapped to your back and you hope that they know what they're doing. They pull the chute after about 30 to 60 seconds of free falling through the air and then you glide down in in a parachute down to the ground. So that first 30 to 60 seconds of free fall, that's the best piece of a skydive, the most exhilarating and where you feel like um, you're flying. That's what we simulate, that piece. But we can deliver it a lot cheaper, a lot safer, a lot more efficiently. Um, and, you know, if you an experience here at iFly, it takes you about an hour to get through the whole process, maximum, and it's designed for five-year-old to 105. It's not weather-related, so you don't get cancelled due to weather. doesn't involve any planes or anyone um, strapped to your back. So it appeals to a wider audience. Um, so that... That appealed to me because um, it offered Queenstown something that wasn't here, and that was a nighttime venue and a bad weather option. Uh, when you think about all the activities in Queenstown, whether it's bungee jumping or skydiving or jet boating or helicopter flights, they all rely on the weather. And on bad weather days, which, how do you think we get snow on the mountains? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there was no options for people at yeah, all. Yeah. And so you had this flood of audience that was just sitting there going, well, well let's just go to the bars and get drunk. But if you're a family, <laughs> that's probably not that appropriate. So that's why it appealed to me, was because it actually had a different um, target audience and it, it didn't compete with those fine weather activities. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah, great. And so that the iFly um, business, how long ago did that you know that start? You got to give us sort of an overview of their yeah. history. I mean, I'm always fascinated by uh, you know someone that start, started a you know something entirely new, and then uh, you know that that journey to um, you know in this case you know really really a, a, a global footprint mm. you're talking about with sort of 80 operations yep. a, around the world.
0: Um, Yeah, how did it come about? It started, I think, as a military application. So the military, especially in the US, is quite big, not compared to New Zealand. And they needed a training facility uh, for their new cadets or for their special forces to just train in in the wind tunnel. And and obviously, compared to a plane, it's very difficult because you've got to work around the weather and and nighttime and all sorts of things. And um, that safety aspect was really quite important. So I think it, it started there. And then very quickly they realised that it had uh, commercial opportunities within the public sector as well. And that's how it started and it took off from there, excuse the pun. Um, So there's about 40 tunnels in the US and then the rest are scattered around the rest of the world. And that was about 25 years ago now. And the original tunnel was in Orlando, Florida. And just recently that got torn down. So that was the original model, and wow. over the years, it's the the model has become a lot more efficient. Yes, um, you can imagine with the operation, you want to be as efficient as you possibly can because it does use a, a high quantity of electricity, um, and you, you also want to have a smooth cushion of air so that it actually simulates freefall skydiving. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's gone through a whole development over the last twenty odd years, and Queenstown was really the jewel of the tourism crown. And that's why it started. And the American um, owners at the time wanted a flagship in New Zealand, and Queenstown was the only place they considered. Perfect. So that's how it all started here. And yeah, that was in August 2018 we launched. And um, yeah, that first year of startup was challenging, it was tough, uh, like any business. But for us, they'd spent a significant amount of money on this infrastructure.
1: Um, yeah, you've got an, an amazing building, an amazing. Uh, spot just by the gondola. I mean, it's it's visible for you know miles around and so on. Uh, and the amount of foot traffic you get, you know, yep. you get past here. Yeah, uh, just oh, absolutely over a million superb, people a year. Yeah, yeah, that's right,
0: yeah. going past our bu- our building. So location's fantastic, and the infrastructure and the design of the tunnel is it's awesome. You know, if you haven't seen it you will come along and you, you can just watch for free but
1: and how how because ultimately you're dealing with a sort of a vertical wind tunnel but mm. does does the source come all the way straight up or is it sort of horizontal and then you know how does it uh, yeah so we, how we, much space do you need do you need on
0: a... not a not a heck of a lot yep. although I'm saying that this building is quite large yeah. um, we've got two 300 kilowatt uh, motors electric motors up the top and the roof and it's a circular system so um, it, it basically goes round and round in, in, in a circular motion and um, the heat builds up quite quickly so we have coolant running through the whole system as well which cools the air down gotcha in the winter time we don't have to use that that much but in the summer time we definitely do so yeah um, it is all designed to be as efficient as possible and comfortable for the flyer and you can notice if you step outside of our ifly building you're not going to hear the tunnel running at all so there's a, a lot, lot gone lot. into soundproofing yeah and yeah. we needed to do that for consent as well but um yeah so a lot of, a lot of thought has gone into the engineering of this building um and, and it's it is just phenomenal but um where we got it wrong in 2019 was the team and the people aspect the soft skill stuff so as said 2019 was the challenge not because of the infrastructure because it was brilliant it was just getting our, our formula right as a team and as a business
1: so, I guess there's sort of a common scenario with a franchise or a, a global business like this. There was no local franchise; owner it was just owned by the the US initially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a company
0: yeah. owned tunnel. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. But they've got their manuals and systems and processes, and the idea is you just replicate that. But reality mm. is things are different in different parts of the world, and yeah. people are different, uh, and things are, things evolve. So. What were the what were the challenges and uh, and what were your what were your solutions ultimately?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. Uh, when you try and cookie cut the process around the world, you you come across local uh, differences, and our market is completely different. Now, we're one of the few tunnels that is uh, based on on the tourism market and the visitor economy. Most of the other ones are built in uh, cities with five million locals, and in the weekends they go crazy, and the weekdays they're pretty dead. Whereas we, we're weekends every day. So seven days a week, we're a weekend market. But when you close the borders on us, it becomes quite challenging. Uh, yeah, so we are different, and our HR is different. So our laws are very different. Our accounting system is very different. So we were finding that we had to basically duplicate everything. So whether it's accounting or it was legal, we had to have um, tick all the boxes here in New Zealand, but also in the US, hugely challenging and attracted more cost than we ever needed to. So there was a little bit of to and fro and negotiation and compromise from the US and from us, and and that's always a struggle. But the biggest challenge was the HR piece and fixing who we wanted to hire. And very much the iFly model was about hiring skilled athletes. And where we were going wrong is the skilled athletes, the fantastic flyers, but... um, they had no ability to communicate with mums and with kids and with grandparents. They could talk to their demographic and that was it. So we changed that model completely and we there was a lot of hierarchy between customer service roles and the instructor roles. So we removed that completely and it, it took us a good six months to grandfather that in, that process. We got rid of all of the roles and we said there's one role <laughs> and that role involves customer service and instructing. Uh, And you need to know every part, every aspect of this business. And all of our staff now are exactly that, one one team. They do one role and, and that's it. And we got to that point where we started hiring based on soft skills and then we taught them the hard technical skills. As a result, we got a balance of male and female instructors coming through and they turned out to be brilliant. And all of our male instructors have got fantastic soft skills as well as hard skills. So teaching the hard skills is actually the easy part. Teaching the soft skills is really difficult. So you might as well hire for them and then teach the hard stuff. So that's what we did. And we got it together at the end of 2019. So we were looking great. We were starting to compete. We were performing as a team and we are starting to make some headway in the marketplace. And then March 23, 2020, some grain in my head. Uh, the borders closed. We all went into lockdown. And we were a startup, and we still had that innovation and startup muscle, and that's what a lot of other tourism businesses lacked. Was and, and again, you took they've to been
1: lot around of, for a long time, right? They correct. didn't know any other way of operating.
0: No, they didn't know how to innovate as quickly as we did. We were nimble, um, we were innovative, we were used to failure anyway from a year's worth of hardship of startup. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the best training ground for us that first year, to then start tackling COVID. Um, and that's really what got us through, was just as I said, being beaten up <laughs> from a startup. Is that I found startup was harder than COVID, wow. which is absolutely nuts when you think about you know what we as an industry been through. A visitor economy relying on eighty percent of our our visitor market coming from international markets, and twenty percent was domestic. How on earth can I say that statement? But it was true.
1: Wow, that's that's incredible, and. You are the local owner now, right? Mm. So uh, walk us through that transition from it being a a company-owned operation to Mm. something that's now yours.
0: Yeah, well, COVID. Thank COVID for that one. Uh, It was sort of starting anyway for the fact that uh, the company had realised that having one business in one country is very difficult and great as a flagship but not much else. So it was sort of a a seed was sown there um, that it probably should come under local ownership at some stage, and then COVID accelerated that process. So when COVID hit, globally, it had a massive impact on businesses, and there was a lot of panic very early. And we knew, being one business in New Zealand, we weren't gonna be first priority. (laughs) And, And so the conversation was had was, Matt, you know your market better than any of us, so you do what needs to be done, and so that's where the reins got handed over, I guess, during that early COVID period, um, and that's where the discussions came along of, well, what next? There's an opportunity here. COVID has given us that, crisis has given us that, and let's take advantage of it um, for the from their perspective and from ours. So it was very, it was done very um, authentically and and organically in a way but it was done in such a way that all parties won. And, you know, in business, I think that's critical that all businesses should, or all parties should win. Um, if it's not, then, you know, if someone gets burnt, generally it doesn't work that well. So, um, yeah, we came to an agreement. It took us eight months to get there, and, and in 2021 I bought the business off the American owners. Congratulations. And we a franchise. Yeah, yeah, well, thanks very much. Yeah. Everyone thought I was absolutely nuts. <laughs> you know, buying a tourism business in the middle of a global pandemic where everyone was sort of falling over or hibernating, getting rid of staff, I was buying a business and supporting my crew. So it was weird. Yeah, but, um, but again, it's that 5% model. Yeah,
1: well, I, I'm picking, you know, if you if you didn't, who knows what would have happened to it, right? And certainly for you know, for the global business, they would have been dealing with other, a lot oh. of other pressures, right? Yeah, so yeah, you know the ability to be able to actually come up with that uh, sort of win-win outcome uh, there... Would have helped their sort of longer term success as well. Yeah, so, uh, yeah and I, and I right. think
0: honestly, they, they look at New Zealand as a flagship in a different way now. You know, We're leading the way in terms of our performance with our team, how we lead. You know, when you look at leadership in the future, it's going to be very different to what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. It already is now what it sort of has to be. And so they are looking at us as, a, okay, this is the way forward looking after people and, and looking after your community and your environment, as well as being commercially viable, it actually all works together.
1: Yeah, yeah. What are the other things that you can, you know, share in terms of learnings uh, here and, and from your business journey that we might not, have, might not have covered yet? Maybe talk a little bit more around, um, you know, your, your approach to leadership and how you've, you've created, you know, a successful culture here Um, because you you really do have some uniques when you're operating in Queenstown, where you're not based on a massive population uh, base of people that are all, you know, resident and sticking around. A sort of transient population, people that are, you know, coming and going. You know, you've also got that with your clientele uh, as well, you know, customers that are coming in and, and out and so on, so uh, you have to also keep your name at the at the forefront mm. for those uh, coming into town. But, um, yeah, what, is, what does it look like from a, a, a culture perspective and a, and a hiring and a retention perspective?
0: I think the challenge businesses have at the moment is around labour and managers knowing how to actually get the best out of them. I think we're in a crossroads at the moment with leadership. Um, it's not a leadership crisis, it's just... We're at a crossroads. We have boards of traditional boards, let's just say, that you're measured on your KPIs and your performance in terms of the bottom line. And that's still important. And then we've got a workforce that's asking for purpose and value um, as well as money, and they want development and all this other stuff. And then you've got the management in the middle, who is the piggy in the middle, literally, going, okay, I've got a board of directors that are telling me it's all about the bottom line. I've got a labour force that, A, I can't get them to turn up for work, and when they do turn up, they want more money and they want purpose. And they don't know what to do. I'm in a fortunate position where I don't have a board of directors above me anymore, so I can make those decisions. And I've come out the other side having looked after my team through the last three years of COVID, when tourism businesses should not be... Well, if you, if you base it on the bottom line, you should have let go of all your staff um, and re- reduced those overheads completely. And now we're in a rush to try and hire staff because we're leaving money on the table. What it is right now is you can actually have the best of both worlds. You can be commercially successful as well as look after your team. But it means that middle management these days needs to have a psychology degree. And that's the big challenge. You really need to understand people more than you ever have because gone are the days where you pay people and tell them what to do. It doesn't work anymore. And the sooner you realise that and you start to figure out how to switch on the millennials and the next generation below them, the better you're going to be as a business and the quicker you're going to be able to move. The trouble with businesses right now, and certainly in the tourism space, is they are so below the line in terms of their mental health and their space and in terms of burnout, and they are running ragged, washing dishes and doing all the, the laborious tasks that they need to be paying people to do because they can't find the staff. They cannot think beyond that right now, and that's the challenge we face. But if we can get above the clouds a little bit and start realising, right, we need to change and support the mental management to be able to deliver what the workforce needs in such a way that we commercially are successful. It's a win-win-win for everybody. And uh, you know that's the lessons I've got. And in the last three years, I've learned that by doing it. Uh, and, and I know that other businesses will succeed, but it does take a mind shift change. And that's not that easy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And in terms
1: of sort of, you know, I guess building your vision and your purpose for your for your team, how how have you gone about doing that, and um, how do you share that vision and get your team on on board, and so that they really feel like they uh, they have that purpose?
0: When I when I first started out in the crisis, it was using Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's it's most people have. And it's that's as basic as it gets. So you build people up that way. So you give them safety, security, belonging, respect, love, etc. You know we've got to be more than just an employer these days. We've got to be the whole thing. We've got to develop better citizens. We can't just develop a person in the role. Yes. You know we've got to be everything. Love it or hate it, that's the reality. Um, but as a result of that, when they feel that, they pass it on to the customer as well. So. Uh, in a way, what we do now as a management team is our customers, our staff, and then then our staff look after our actual customers that pay the money, and and that's as simple as that. The other thing that we do quite a bit now is we look at the principles of multitem, and you know businesses, especially in tourism, now have to look at culture and heritage and and embed that into their businesses. And I was going through the crisis. And looking at some of the Maori values like manaakitanga, which is you know being a good host, uh, kaitiakitanga, which is you know, looking after your environment and your people and your community. So much wisdom there, isn't there? There's so much wisdom there, and yet it's, it's funny that every business, almost every year, goes right. What are our values and our mission statement, our goals this year? And they keep changing them. And, and if you just look back 600 years to what any culture did, was it was protect your resource protect the people around you, protect your village. It was all there. It's just we, for some reason, have to keep on coming up and reinventing these cool statements that we can stick on the wall as platitudes. Um, But the values and the mission and the goals are all there. Uh, We just need to to actually know where to look. So um, embedding that organisational culture is really important for us to innovate. So ultimately, for a business, we want high performance and we want to innovate as a business. The only way you're going to do that is if you have staff in good mental health and they you know, are thinking above the line and they feel supported, they don't feel like you know, their, their job is at risk and they feel supported by their, their bosses to be able to deliver on their performance and they're okay making a mistake.
1: Yeah, big
0: yeah. Big one, big one is I tell my staff every day, let's innovate, let's figure out ways that we can test and validate things and if you make a mistake, that's fine. Let's just tweak it and let's trial it again and we move quick. That's the environment we need. That's great. That's excellent. Love it. Any closing comments you'd like to add before we wrap up? As I said, we're at a crossroads, but this is a great opportunity for all businesses in all sectors to take the bull by the horns and really start to innovate in this post-crisis mode that we're in right now. This is where the cool stuff happens, is when there's most disruption. That's what I'm looking forward to right now, is, is creating cool stuff.
1: Definitely a, a time where there's uh, you know, unique Pressures, but unique opportunities, and yeah, you know, really perfect for our, our Kiwi ingenuity and innovation to yeah. uh, to come out. And uh, yeah, I think you know we have some very exciting times ahead for New Zealand. So um, great to hear your insights. Uh, thank you very much, Matt Wong. Thanks, Paul. All right, cheers. Appreciate it. The New Zealand Business Podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology your strategic and proactive IT partner.